to Books with Cooks, a podcast for bookies and foodies. Hi, I'm Jess. And I'm Alex. And we're two cousins who are also best friends who love to read. Yeah. And I love to cook. And I cook to survive. We'll be reviewing, analyzing, sometimes overanalyzing, and discussing the books we're currently reading, as well as new and old recipes from our kitchen to yours. By the way, we're real people with real families. So you may hear cats, dogs, birds, babies, and husbands. So enjoy that bonus material. Now let's get booking and have a tasty chat. episode for some bloopers and bonus content. Hey, 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 listeners. If you're enjoying our podcast, please give us a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or your preferred streaming service to help us reach more listeners and spread the word about our podcast. Before we get started, we want to include some trigger warnings. This book and the following discussion will include topics of murder, animal abuse, sexual abuse, violence, and torture. So please be aware of that before you proceed. Just be aware that there will be cursing and spoilers. So if that's something you're sensitive to, or if you haven't read the book yet, you may want to skip this episode and come back to it in the future. Also, be prepared that this book can be quite frightening. So if that's not for you, feel free to skip this book And we'll just sum it up for you in this episode. It gave me a fright. (laughs) Hey, everybody. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Hi, Alex. Hey, Jess. All right. It's our first. Nah, it's our first spooky special today. Yep. If anyone's taking kids Halloween. um, Nice. If anyone's taking kids uh, trick or treating today, be safe. Dress warm. If you're uh, in New York, I think it's going to be a little chilly today. Um, so if you're in the New York area or New Jersey, you might want to bring a little coat and uh, make sure everybody's uh, getting safe with that candy. Check everything out. Yeah. You know, Alex, are you going to be trick or treating today? No, I'm in St. Lucia right now. <laughs> That's right. But you can trick or treat there. <laughs> No, uh, obviously we're recording this ahead of time uh, because <laughs> the episode came out today. So, uh, but by the time this does come out, I will be in St. Lucia. I will not be trick or treating. Honestly, even if I wasn't in St. Lucia, why would I be? Now that I think about it, why not? It? If you wanted to be, no one's gonna judge you. I would be such a creep. <laughs> that would be so creepy. Imagine oh, just opening hi. the door. It's just a single 34-year-old woman just standing on your door by his, like with a bag, like, trick or treat. No costume, because I don't like to dress up. So oh, oh, no costume? That's just weird. I know. That's no. what I'm saying. No, I get angry at the ones that come at the door with no costume with like plastic bags. And I'm like, you can't you can't just like, you know, put a little effort. Well, like the teenager or like preteens. Yeah. And then yeah. they always have like, you know, like silly string hanging off their face. <laughs> and I'm like, get, yeah, they're getting it in my candy. I'm like, come on. 
Yeah, I do. I do like answering the door and giving out the candy for like the little kids and stuff because their costumes are always adorable. I I just it's so cute and they're always so sweet. But the teenagers, yeah, I'm like, you're too old. You're too old. Go home. Go buy yourself some candy with your part time job. Like. Hey, candy's expensive, okay? Candy is expensive. expensive. You're right. All right. Uh, to buy like a bag of 330 candies, it's not even a lot of candies considering like how many kids come and stuff. Yeah. But to buy like a big bag like that is like $40 now. What the hell? I know. I, uh, hi, Dexter. Can you, can you <laughs> <Is he> snoring? <laughs> He's, yes. No. He just, he grunts, oh. he grunts like a little piggy. I don't know why. <laughs> weird. All right, go lay down. <laughs> Get out of here. He's um, like, I want my candy. Yeah, he's like, I'm hearing some talk of candy. But uh, yeah, when I, well, I was just looking at the candy for myself. I'm not going to lie. I was like, maybe I should pick up some Halloween candy. And I'm just kidding. I was going to put it out in a bowl and just like leave it out until Halloween. But then I was like, I can't do that. Animals will start eating it. Um, Oh, not only that, forget it. It wouldn't even get to that point. Um, One time I went to the store. I was I was home and I went to the store for like 20 minutes and I came back and the whole bag, I mean, the whole bowl was empty because somebody just poured it into their whole bag. I'll never do that again. Or they just take the whole bowl. But I didn't really care. I was like, whatever. But then when I saw the price of the candy, I was like, first of all, animals aside, that's a ridiculous amount of money for some Kit Kats. I don't know. (laughs) Right. I was like, who? It really is. Who's making these prices? Because it's insane. I mean, I know everything's expensive now. Like everything went up significantly. But what what's different about the Kit Kats? Because they give no. you less and they charge more. I and know. I don't understand I it. Well, story of today's world right now, because everything is costing more and you're getting less. But that's a whole yeah. other a whole other rant. Uh, yeah. But yeah, no, uh, even like the, the candy that nobody wants bags, you know, the ones that you pick up and you're like, oh, no one even eats this stuff. Yeah. That one was still 30 bucks. Wow. I was like, nobody even likes this stuff. <laughs> I was like, why is this one even sold? There wasn't even one good thing in it. Just like a whole bag of Mike and Ike's. <laughs> basically, basically just had a big picture of Doug's face on it. Uh, <laughs> or, you know, those candies that like, I don't even know what they're supposed to taste like, but they look like little burgers. Have you ever seen those? No. <laughs> Wait, maybe, I, maybe I have seen them. I don't know. I always wonder what they taste like and who's eating them. Like, I hope they don't taste like burger. I assume not. <laughs> gross. That's disturbing, yeah. But I well, those candies I never understood. They do have those um those like disturbing uh gross jelly beans, which I used to love jelly beans, but not these ones. Do you remember we did this at like Christmas or something one year? Oh yeah. And um and Doug and I, I think I think Matt. We're, yeah. my, our cousin we're doing it and one was like puke flavor i would throw up yeah they're like the jelly beans from harry potter except they're like a different brand or whatever but they're like i just remember i remember their faces yeah i remember when they would taste them and be like like yeah. their faces were all like i think i have the video i might have to find it and resurface it and just send it out yeah <laughs> <laughs> and be like remember this uh I did get those Bernie Bots beans when I was in uh, Orlando when I went to Harry Potter World, and they really do taste like there was one that was like dirt, and it really did taste like dirt. Who's eating dirt? How do you know that that's what dirt tastes like? I just assume because it smelled like dirt. Like in my mouth, it was like this is what I would assume it tastes like based on how it smells. Yeah, and there was one that was like grass. There was a puke. I don't think I ate the puke one because I was like, I don't think I need to know what that's going to be like. (laughs) No, this is like some Fear Factor stuff. Like, I wouldn't even go on Fear Factor for money. I'm not going to just do jelly beans that taste like literal crap. Yeah. Just for fun. It doesn't sound fun. 
to me. No. Um, no. But yeah, that, that exists, you know, and there's some creep out there. I guarantee it. That there's definitely some creep handing those out to kids on mm. on Halloween. Like, oh, I'm going to trick and treat you. <laughs> Wait till you go home and eat my jelly beans. <laughs> Wait till you see there's a puke flavor one stuck in there. You think they're all peach? You know, it's definitely <laughs> that guy. Okay. <laughs> somewhere, you know, laughing it up somewhere. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, we know about you, guy. <laughs> If you wanted to mess with trick-or-treaters, what candy would you give out? If, like, that was your intention, would it be those? To, to mess with them? Why? Yeah. What am, how am I messing with them? Am I, like, give... Yeah, I guess, because that like would be the thing that you... or something. Yeah, that would be really awful. Or I would put, like, uh, give them, like, something, like, that comes in a wrapper, reseal a bag of chips or something, and then when you open it up, it's a toothbrush. <laughs> What is no. with you and the toothbrush? It's going me for life, okay? <laughs> uh, no, but you imagine you went, oh, mm, Fritos, and you just open them up, and there's just a toothbrush, and it's a little that's <laughs> like, ha ha ha, go brush your teeth, asshole, like you know. So <laughs> oh my god, that would be that. That would be really <laughs> annoying. I'd be like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, because they do have things that reseal. Which yeah. is disturbing because that means people can tamper with food and resale it and you'd never know. You'd be like, oh, there's air in there. Yeah. Well, I've seen people even on TikTok that like will real reseal bags using like a hair straightener because it's really just you just like melt the plastic basically and let it fuse back together. They just like slide a hair straightener across the top and it reseals the plastic. All right. Now you're just giving Frank, uh, creepy Frank more tricks. <laughs> He's going to be doing this with the bag of chips and the jelly beans. Oh, what jelly beans? Or do you want some chips that I meshed with? You know? Okay. <laughs> um, I think another thing too would be like not giving them candy at all and just like handing them napkins. I'd be <laughs> like I'd be like, here, keep tidy. You know, that yeah. you'd probably hate that person, be like, really? Yeah. Um, but also napkins are expensive too. <laughs> I know. I don't even buy napkins. I just use paper towels. Paper towels I know. Yeah. I know. It makes like, it a little easier. Paper towels are expensive. Yeah. You buy they the are. 10 pack, that's 30 bucks also. Yeah, they are. Like but at least I use them every day. Like I use them all the time. Well, we probably use them. We go through them a lot quicker because we have a lot of animals yeah. and kids. Kids and animals, well, forget it. You're buying one a week. Yeah. But the 10 pack is expensive. Yeah. I, I like hate that when I have to go buy like household supplies and literally everything is 30 bucks. <laughs> It's so expensive. I feel like I can't go to the grocery store without spending at least a hundred dollars. And then by the time I get home, I'm like, I don't even know what I got. Like, what did I even buy for a hundred dollars? It's ridiculous. I know. It, just to restock things, I usually get like the same four items, and it's always sixty dollars yeah. for four items. Yeah. You know, and it's not even like you know I'm buying like a, a mass amount of meat or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's so weird. Well, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, let's not bring it there. I know this is like a dark day because it's Halloween, but we don't have to have a dark chat. <laughs> you know, let's liven it up a little bit. Uh, well, actually, no, let's not. Let's tell some scary stories. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any scary stories for us? I don't know if I do. Spot? Yeah, I don't know if I do, to be honest. I don't know. How about you? I not that I could think of off the offhand. All I can think of is the little old man who I was terrified of up the block from me when I was younger. And when I used to go trick-or-treating at his house, he used to come out and his hair was all wild, kind of like Christopher Lloyd style from Back to the Future. Like his hair was all insane. Mm -hmm. And um, he used to come out and he would hand you 
candy and he'd say happy easter or happy christmas every single time and it'd be like this is the wrong holiday man you know and now as i'm older i just feel sorry for the guy poor guy why wasn't somebody there helping and assisting this person you know yeah so now yeah when i was younger i was afraid of him and now i i just feel sorry for him i'm like could somebody just help him answer well, the door was tell he him what holiday it is was he confused or was he like intentionally because like there's people that do that, you know, that'll be like, ha ha, happy Christmas, you know, he didn't laugh afterwards. So I'm I'm assuming he was confused I don't or know. at least this is what makes my childhood nightmares a little easier for me <laughs> to accept, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, he he was uh every year I remember he used to do that and I used to not want to go to his house. Yeah. I don't really but. remember having anything like that as a kid. Um yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, this isn't scary, but the other thing that comes to mind is when me, you and Dana went around your neighborhood when you were, you were younger and we made people sign a petition for uh, saving traffic cones. <laughs> That's, it's so unrelated. I mean, it could be a scary story. You know, it's like, look at these creeps. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and people signed it. So, you know, we did get signatures. What are you doing over there? It sounds like an earthquake in your microphone. Yeah, my cord came loose. Oh, I thought you were going to say, yeah, there is an earthquake in my microphone. There was an earth earthquake in my microphone for sure. Nice. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, we know that you guys got to trick or treat and you got to do your stuff today. So we'll um we'll just jump to the word of the day. But hope everybody has a nice Halloween. And don't get too scared. <laughs> yeah, have a <laughs> safe and fun Halloween mm. and stay happy, away happy, from creepy people. Happy Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Easter. Oh, God. <laughs> we had a good conversation. <laughs> okay, it's time for the word of the day. Remember that we encourage our listeners to use these words in your daily conversations and with us on our socials. Each word of the day will come from the Word of Day Vocabulary Workbook by Francine Puckley or Franny the Pucks. Follow the link in bio to get a copy for yourself. All right, so without further ado, today's Spooky word of the day is mawkish, spelled M A W K I S H, pronounced mawkish. It is an adjective that is defined as overly sentimental, maudlin. For example, daytime soap operas irritated Melanie. She found them mawkish and unbelievable. Jess, do you have an example for mawkish? Melanie sounds like a fun person, huh? <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, Melanie, how you doing? Oh, I'm good. I'm just watching some mawkish shows. <laughs> I feel like mawkish is like the ultimate New York word. I've never heard this word like used in daily life, but it just sounds like it's spelled like a New Yorker would say it. Right? Maw. The maw. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's all right. I can make fun of myself. All right. So I guess I would say that... Uh, in this book, there's times where Mary, who's aging, tends to feel mawkish about that process. Hmm. Okay. Mary has a mawkish uh, affinity for her loved ones. And I don't mean her real loved ones like Aunt Nadine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean her little statues. Mawkish <laughs> uh, Mary? No. Mm, I would say Mary is not very mawkish when it comes to her aunt nadine mm. there's really no sentiment there for her aunt nadine no or really anything at all <laughs> yeah 
Or any feelings, exactly. She really just used her because she was getting kicked out of her apartment and lost her job. Yeah. Jane has a mawkish love for her. (laughs) This messed up. For her pillowcase. Wow. (laughs) I mean, she doesn't have a love of her pillowcase. The pillowcase was forced onto her head. I know. But then when she takes it off and she has the opportunity to just like leave it, she still takes it with her. So (laughs) it's like she has a mawkish love for it. It's become part of her. Yeah. So maybe you could say Damon Cross has uh, a mawkish attachment, I guess, to pillowcases. I'm putting them on women's faces. All right. <laughs> okay. That's enough of that. <laughs> yeah. Listen, you'll hear more about that in a little bit. All right. Calm down over there. <laughs> all right. So let's hear some trivia about the word mawkish. Mock. <laughs> Stop. Mock der- derives from the Middle English word for maggot and turned up in the 1660s with the meaning of something nauseating or sickly. The figurative meaning of sickingly sentimental started to take hold in 1702. Hmm. All right. Interesting. Okay. I mean, I didn't think mock, which sounds like New York, had something to do with maggots. But you know what? It's very appropriate for this book. It does. It is. Yeah. It would have been very appropriate for the house, uh, last house on Needless Street, too, because yeah. of that steak. Ugh. Yeah. All right. All right. Let's get into our ingredient of the week. As you know, we are all about booking and cooking. So let's get into our ingredient of the week. This week's ingredient is... Ice cream! Inspired by the food Mary compares killing a dog to. We'll make something using that ingredient to discuss in our potty episode, which will air on Thursday. Send us recipe suggestions through our email and on our socials, and we may feature them in the future. And don't worry, no dogs will be harmed in the making of our recipes. As long as Mary's not making it. Okay, so first, let's tell you why we chose this book. Mary was highly recommended and deemed one of the most horrifying horror novels of all time. So we figured, what better book to read and release on Halloween? Before we dive into our discussion, here's a plot synopsis so everyone knows what this book is about. Mary is a middle-aged woman on the cusp of turning 50 who lives a quiet, solitary life. As she approaches menopause, she finds herself experiencing bizarre symptoms. She can't look at herself in the mirror or at other women her age without seeing them starting to decompose. On top of that, she struggles to remember her life, was just fired from her job, and is unable to afford a recent rent increase. When her Aunt Nadine calls her to ask that she come back to her hometown to care for her, Mary thinks this is a great opportunity to reconnect with her past and start filling in those gaps in her memory. Unfortunately for Mary, her troubles only increase upon returning, quote, home, and the unexplainable symptoms worsen. Nat Cassidy is an award-winning playwright, novelist, actor, and musician. He was born in North Carolina, raised in Arizona, and currently resides in New York City. Mary, An Awakening of Terror was Nat's debut novel and has received critical acclaim, being named one of the best horror novels of 2022 by multiple sources, including Esquire, Harper's Bazaar, Crime Reads, etc. He is considered one of New York's rising playwrights, and like Mary, Nat's plays are compelling horror stories. He has appeared in numerous television shows, plays in a band, and is a member of the multimedia production company Gideon Media. His next novel, Nestlings, debuts today, October 31st. So if you're interested, go read that too. 
All right, so let's get started. Uh, let's share our thoughts on the characters of this book. As you guys know, we read A Mary and Awakening of Terra by Natty the Cass. <laughs> so, Alex, who were your favorite and least favorite characters, and do you think that they were well-developed? Yeah, I think that overall they were pretty well-developed. <laughs> I didn't have an issue with the character development. I thought that they all seemed real enough, if not a little weird and creepy, but real. <laughs> Uh, my favorite was Aunt Nadine. She just cracked me up. I thought she was hilarious. And my least favorite, I think, was Dr. Burton. He was a super mm. creep. I hated him. He was super arrogant. And he was a freaking psychopath. So I just, there were a lot of characters in this novel that I did not like, but I think he was my least favorite of all. So, yeah. Yeah, I I think I only liked Nadine. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I liked Jane too. <laughs> well, not really. I want nothing to do with that that bitch standing in my tub uh, <laughs> with her pillowcase that's bloody, and then hurting my dogs. But yeah, oh, she yeah. um yeah uh I I can't say that she's my least favorite because she was interesting as hell to read about. Uh, I don't know. I I hate a lot of them. So I have some issues with Eleanor. I have some issues with the development of her and of Nancy. But more on Nancy's more on the ends of of the um of the book. And I'll tell you about that later. But I don't like dislike Nancy. I don't know. I think the characters were well developed, but maybe there's some some little flaws. So maybe we'll discuss that. I think your issues were more with the plot than they were with the character development. Yeah, it's just, yeah. From what, you, from Ele what you've described. Yeah. Eleanor, when it comes to that plot twist, mm -hmm. Eleanor doesn't, it's not true to her character that was being developed. So we'll just, we'll discuss it in my opinion. Yeah. Um. So my favorite was definitely Nadine. She was hilarious. Uh. If this whole book was about Nadine, I would have loved the shit out of that book. <laughs> she is hysterical. We need her backstory book. <laughs> She's, she yeah. was the best character in this. She was entertaining as hell to read. And uh. And I, I cracked up a lot of the times when she was speaking. My least favorite, ugh, the entire town as a whole, <laughs> is my least favorite. Uh, because that town needs to just get sucked into the earth and never come out. Um, yeah. Just bury that whole town. That's all. So I'm not gonna, that's not a whole character, but yes. Yeah. And, that, and, then, <laughs> and that's my final answer. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> so in the novel, Mary states, crazy, I hate that word. As far as I'm concerned, it's the worst word you can call a woman. No other C word comes close. Do you agree with her? No. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I can think of another C word that's worse. I won't say it, but also uh, childish, childish, churlish. No, I'm kidding. All right. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> no. So Mary was taking offense to the word crazy because Mary does have some some things going on. And apparently she blocks those things out. Uh, and as the story unravels, you start to realize that she's projecting those things on others that really are in her head. Uh, so when she was saying, oh, you know, Nadine was this and she was a bully or whatever, it, or she was experiencing memories, quote, memories from these women in the past who she deemed as bullies. Um, she was leaving out the fact that she was actually the bully uh, and that she was actually a bitch. Uh, so when she said, the, you know, so when she heard this word crazy, as far as she was concerned, there was no other word or anything that came close to upsetting her because it helped her uh, realize things from the past and accept more who she might be. Not that she's crazy, uh, but it helps, you know, maybe put her more into like, hey, this is really what your character is and you're just pretending it's not, if that makes sense. 
So I don't agree okay. personally with calling somebody crazy. I don't think that's a that's nice. Uh, but I don't think that's the worst word you can call a woman specifically, except if a, a man is a misogynistic asshole, in a sense, and he's calling a woman crazy. Oh, you're crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. I can understand that. I can understand that as being belittling and demeaning in that case, if you're trying to, you know, brush it off as a woman's being crazy for having opinions or having thoughts of her own. Yeah, I I do have an issue with women being called crazy because they are called crazy much more commonly than men are called crazy. And I do believe it feeds into this idea of the hysterical woman who is just emotional and irrational. And it is used Mm -hmm. dismissively to basically be, like you said, belittle and to diminish their worth. Because if somebody's saying something that you don't like, you can just say, oh, well, you're crazy and just move on with your day rather than taking them seriously. And I think that that was a huge issue for Mary in this book is that she was having experiences that she was struggling with and nobody took her seriously. So whether you like Mary or not, she was never taken seriously as a child. She was having, I mean, the whole point of this book is that she literally has like another personality in her that's like a reincarnation of the serial killer and that's not her fault you know Mm. um but nobody would listen to her and instead all they tried to do was say well you're just crazy and then tried to tamper that down until they could basically have control over her mental state and i think that that's really symbolic of what we do to women in society and so is it the worst word that you could call a woman i don't know But I do think it's a bad word to be used. And I do think it is disproportionately used towards women versus men. So, you know, I think it's easy to call anyone crazy to dismiss things if you don't want to believe certain things that they're saying are accurate. Also, sometimes Mm -hmm. in society, um, you know, somebody can be deemed crazy. Oh, that person's crazy. Just so you don't take their opinion seriously or somebody can try and say, well, you know, don't listen to old Frank because he's crazy, you know. But meanwhile, old Frank knows a thing or two and he's trying to spread a message and people aren't accepting of that message because they're deeming him off as crazy. So um, I think crazy is, isn't, isn't the best label. And I think that it's overused and I think it's too normalized being overused in society as a whole, especially yeah. towards women, but overall. And it's funny. It's interesting that you said that, too, about, you know, that she's got this serial killer living inside of her, basically possessing her as a second personality since she's young. And his name was Damon Cross. And his last name, Cross, starts with a C as well. So that's interesting. Mm. I didn't actually put that two and two together until you said something about that. And I was like, oh, Cross, that might be a worse word to call her. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Cross. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So in what ways um, throughout the novel did you see Mary struggling to find and reclaim her identity? What barriers do you think that she faced on that journey? Yeah. So I think that she... The whole point of the book, well, I don't know if it's the whole point, but the whole plot of the book is that she's trying to understand her past and she's trying to understand who she is. And in order to do that, she needs to kind of go back to her hometown. So we see her doing that and trying to learn more about this cross house, things that she's you know seen in her dreams but didn't know actually existed. And we see her talking to people like her Aunt Nadine, trying to understand her history. And she does encounter a lot of barriers. So first, Damon is a barrier. Uh, He's a physical or not physical, but it's like a partition in her brain that won't allow her to access the true depths of her identity because it's being blocked by him. 
And once again, I do believe that's symbolic of, you know, what society does and how we define what is a woman and what is a man and what their worth is. And we see that she's struggling with gaps in her memory. She also suffered a lot of trauma as a child. So that really stuck with her. That really created an issue in terms of trying to figure out who she is, because as a child, she was institutionalized. And while institutionalized, they were using some bad methods, but they were trying to instill in her this idea that she needs to be a good girl. She needs to be quiet and good and pay, you know, pay attention and just do what she's told. And I think that was a huge barrier for her. That was, that became really internalized as she grew into an adult. And that really prevented her from exploring desires that she had and trying to figure out what it was that she enjoyed doing or saying what she wanted to say, all because she had to keep coming back to this idea that she needed to be a good girl. She just needed to keep her mouth shut. She needed to not make waves. And I think that that was one of the biggest barriers for her. Um, in addition to that, she's not taken seriously. So when she's trying to, you know, express her concerns about what she, the, the symptoms she's been experiencing, she's not taken seriously. And then she has some other environmental barriers, like she loses her job. She is, ends up losing, she doesn't really lose her apartment, but she basically would have because she can't afford the, the rent increase. And just in general, um, a lot of people do define themselves through their work. And I think that was something that was rooted in Mary's identity. She was very proud to be working at this bookstore and she had been there for many, many years. And so losing that and then losing her home, I think were all huge barriers to helping her reclaim her identity. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And when she was working at that bookstore too, she's a loner. That's one of her barriers. Uh, and that stems from everything that happened to her and that she's been struggling with. Uh, but she works in the basement of this bookstore so she can be alone down there with her thoughts and the books. She's hidden out of place, you know, out of sight, out of mind, kind of. And that's what she likes. And then the same thing when she moves back home and she gets a job again in, at the Cross House in the basement. So she likes working in basements away from people. You know, she's got um, she's more antisocial. She doesn't want to be around people because she doesn't know how to act because she's not really her 100 percent herself. So that's 100 percent of the barrier there. Um, and as most people like us, we wouldn't want to work in some basement of a haunted house. No, thank you. OK, I'm good. I'm good with that. So don't make a face like you would do that. You, you, there'd be something I, in the wall. You'd be out. <laughs> I do. Prefer, I'm not saying I want to work in a haunted house, but I do prefer working alone. Than, uh, well, like, that, yeah. With groups. <laughs> we all know that, Alex. I guess. <laughs> You're like, leave me alone. Lock the door. But not in some creepy ass basement with some gardener who's not real. Anyway, um, <laughs> running through the walls. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> No, but she has these memories, too, and they're not even her own most of the time. They're, you know, this other personality from this serial killer who's been deceased, uh, you know, kind of taking over her brain uh, of these murders that took place in her town when she was a child. Uh, and she has these memory gaps, like Alex was saying, too. So, you know, that's going to cause heavy barriers because she doesn't even know which memories are her own. So she's having like a, um, what's real and what's not, you know, um, she's an aging woman. So. She'll go to the doctor and the doctor won't even listen to what she's saying. In this case, she'll say, oh, I'm feeling this. I'm feeling that. I'm seeing things. And he's like, all right, menopause. No problem. Take these pills and these pills and, you know, call it a day. It's it's normal. And she's like, mm, is it normal? I'm talking to dolls and, I, you know, I see women that are dead. Uh, <laughs> and he's like, yeah, it's, it's menopause. 
<laughs> so like, you know, there, it's, there's this theme, this very heavy theme uh, in this book about uh, the patriarchy and the man not taking the woman seriously and deeming her crazy because she's just going through menopause. So she's not herself. But meanwhile, she really isn't herself because she does have a man living inside her, possessing her. That's a ghost uh, that was a serial killer of women. Uh, so you see the irony there. Uh, then um, she is from a small town, you know, um, and this town turns out to be like a cult town. Okay. And she was like on the outskirts of that. A lot of barriers for Mary. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, also her best friends are dolls. Let me just talk about that. Okay. I feel sorry for her, but as a child, she was weird, you know, because wouldn't you be if you had a serial killer living in your mind? Mm-hmm. Uh, so she was a little bit of a loner. You know, she was she was weird. Uh, sometimes he would take over and like bash the shit out of a girl's head, um, you know, making her disabled basically for the rest of her life. Uh, she has no memory of that because probably when that happened, he was taking over and, and she didn't even realize it was happening. So she had a lot of barriers, a lot of struggles. She has to reclaim her identity and figure out who she is. And I think she does do that in the end. But I think the underlying theme um, is very powerful when it comes to the reasons behind her seeing this aged woman in the mirror because an an older woman will see an aged woman in the mirror and it will be scary to them and they won't recognize themselves uh and in society you know you feel invisible because people won't look at you or people won't take you seriously because they'll just dismiss you as some crazy old lady um so there's a lot of that in this in this book and i think that her struggles when it comes to um being an aging woman in society is very valid and relatable um to a lot of women and and how women are perceived today so and or have always been perceived, I should say. Yeah. All right. So Mary has few. Mary has very few possessions. However, she does have, as we've said, a large collection of small porcelain statues that she refers to as her quote loved ones. Isn't that creepy? So why do you think she's developed such a strong connection to these, you know, her little dolls? Yeah, this is super creepy, and it was. A little comical as well in the book. I felt bad, <laughs> but well, when we, they started talking to her, when we first, well, when we first started reading Mary and she's talking about how she's going home and she's like talking to these statues, I was like, this is the saddest thing. <laughs> I, I don't know. This is just so pathetic and sad. Um, I think that was the whole point. But I think you know she builds a strong connection with these statues because she does have a lack of social connection. She is a loner. She doesn't have a lot of friends. She is seen as bizarre and and a little off-putting. And I also think that this is the result of trauma. So she does talk about how when she was institutionalized as a, a child, that this idea of being good and, you know, being a good girl and being quiet and all of that, it made her think of, you need to be perfect. You need to be a little porcelain doll that doesn't have any opinions, that is just good and sits, you know, quietly in the corner. And I think that that was symbolic of you know, women need to conceal their opinions, their thoughts, desires, they need to appear perfect. And I think that that's why this was included in the book. But I think for Mary as a character, it was definitely a result of her lack of social connection. The only people really she communicated with up until she she goes back to her hometown are these statues and maybe occasionally some people at work. Um, I think it also shows that she's a little obsessive. So she collects these dolls and she values these more than literally anything else in her life throughout the entire book. So I think that that's where this comes in for Mary. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Because she can control how they speak to her and how Mm -hmm. they treat her. She can control what they say. And I know that sounds the C word she hates, but uh, 
you know, she she really is this lonely woman. You know, you got to can't help but feel sorry for her in that sense. Uh, I'm not saying that if you're lonely, you should have a doll collection and speak with the dolls, you know, and have a tea party um, with them every day. I- I'm just saying, you know, for the horror book trope, a creepy doll makes sense. Uh, but yeah, no, the fact that she was calling them loved ones at first, I was just like, all right, she's talking about her family. And then when you find out it's the dolls, you're just, oh, this that's where this is going. Okay. And I just immediately thought of grandma's doll room because when we were younger, our grandmother had this doll room that I used to run past because it was creepy. Um, These actually remind me. <laughs> I still don't like me, the dolls, by the these, way, from that. These little statues actually remind me of the Hummels that grandma used to collect um, because I think even at one point they referred to like Goose Girl or something like that. I'm like, I'm pretty sure these are Hummels. That was a, a Hummel. Anyway, that's beside the point. I love my grandma. Grandma was great, but she had creepy dolls. Okay. Uh, <laughs> But at least she wasn't talking to them. She was social. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> well, anyway, as far as the book goes, jokes aside, um, you know, she has these 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 dolls, Alex was saying, and um, you know, they're very close to her and she really values them above actual living people. Uh and at one point some of them get broken. And I think that that represents how she herself is feeling broken. Um, so now her, her, when she's starting to identify herself and realize what's going on, they're breaking because her normal, quote, normal, um, is, be, is changing. It's getting altered and she's starting to realize what's going on. Um, and it's breaking up her little fantasy, so to speak. And then she meets this girl, Eleanor. Uh, this is a little girl in the town who works in the basement as well. And, you know, even though she's depicted as sweet, and a uh, quote great company uh, she does work in a creepy basement also so you gotta maybe think something might be loose there with her but um she does uh mary think of her as and she quotes it as um she's one of her living dolls so she actually does form a friendship or at least she thinks she does with eleanor and uh, i think that's also in part that she's not an adult so even though that might seem like creepy that an older woman is becoming friendly with a, a young girl that also represents uh you know, that she's kind of desperately trying to hold on to youth. She she sees this young girl and wishes she could be this young girl. Um, and she sees a lot of resemblance to herself. I mean, this little girl listens to podcasts. They're like true crime, lots of blood and all these things. And she's like 12, right? She's 16. Oh, she's 16. Oh, she's yeah. older than I thought. All right. She's, yeah, she's older. <laughs> All right. Well, we don't like Eleanor and we'll tell you why later, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's it. Yeah. I liked uh, how you brought up about the breaking of the loved ones. I agree that that was symbolic. I thought that it was symbolic of Mary's, you know, veneer of goodness and quietness and keeping things in starting to show the cracks in that because throughout the book she becomes increasingly more outspoken and also violent and i think that there was a lot of symbolism there yeah these stupid <laughs> dolls i know i know but you know what's crazy though when we're reading a horror story you picture these dolls and you're just like ugh and they're just sitting there and their eyes are following her when she's walking around. I don't know. Yeah, I did want to say, though, uh, for anybody that hasn't read the book, she does acknowledge that they're not actually talking to her. So you do know in the book, it's not like she's completely off the deep end. She's like, I'm not crazy. I know that they don't actually talk, but I don't have anyone else to talk to. So yeah. I liked that that was in there, too, because that's when I first started reading it. I was like, what is this like what this book's going to be like? She's talking to little statues. So that made it a little bit more palatable for me as a reader. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and at one point, too, she's actually carrying around pieces yeah. of these broken dolls, which also represents that the pieces of her are like, you know, unraveling and mm-hmm. things like that. Uh, but the story 
the way it's written, you know, the author, actually Natty the Cast, <laughs> makes you think that perhaps she's carrying them around because she keeps mentioning they're sharp, yeah. that, you know, she's using them as a weapon. So it, it's also a tool, a uh, plot device put in there, you know, to make you think, um, could she be slicing women's faces off with this? Could her dolls be doing it? Hmm. Okay. <laughs> also, her speaking through the dolls is representing the fact that Damon Cross is kind of speaking through her. So it's kind of like a mirroring situation, maybe unconsciously to her. Mm, maybe. She's she's his living doll. Yeah. <laughs> Creepy. All right. <laughs> so speaking of Damon, religious fanaticism plays a large role in this book. At what point do you think an unwavering belief system can stop being positive and start becoming harmful? You mean when it's a cult and the whole town is like just coming down on women and then, you know, burying their body and doing crazy shit. <laughs> so in the very beginning, when she returns back to her hometown, she forgets a lot of things about her hometown because part of her wasn't even there. It was, you know, Damon Cross living through her as a child there. Uh, so she has memory gaps, like we said. So when she's in her uh, the cab, creepy cab driver, he was creepy. Um, she was in his car and he basically said he came from, I think, the Midwest or something like that. And he was visiting for religious purposes. So that gives you some kind of a, a idea that this town that she is going to her hometown is very religious based. Uh, and then you start to, as you get to know this town a little bit more, realize that there's two separate types of uh, residents in this town, ones that are part of this religious thing and the other one that are considered outsiders. And when you find out what the religion is, it's a cult uh, and it goes with the theme of you know, older women having no more purpose in society. Now, you know, they they went through menopause. They can't have children anymore. So it goes with the old patriarchal notion that a woman's worth is based on her ability to reproduce, uh, which, of course, we don't agree with. But that's what this town is basically living out the horror of because they're taking these older women um, and sacrificing one every year. And there's a point where there's this little boy goes missing and they're like, oh, we're taking children now. Isn't that against the rules? Like, in other words, children have purpose, you know? And there's one scene, too, that really just disturbed me where, I mean, the whole book disturbs me, but there's one scene where uh, the little boy goes missing. And I think it's the doctor that's talking about um, about this situation. I think it's him. But, you know, Mary says, oh, well, that's horrible about this kid. And he's like, yeah, well, the mother is, is young. So, you know, even if the son turns up dead, um, she could still have more kids. So it's OK. So that's basically summing up this novel in in a scene, uh, trying to say that, you know, if you're older, you don't have really a purpose. That's why you're scared to look in the mirror, because society is telling you, hey, you're worthless now. Uh, and you see a monster because they're making you think that you are one, even though you're not. And in this book, they're they're basically worshiping this serial killer who killed all these women. Um, they're worshiping worshiping him and they're like idolizing him. And every year they're doing something called harvesting uh, as part of their religion to uh, keep with his tradition of killing women or whatever, because they no longer have a purpose. It's it's deeply disturbing, but the message is very real. Yeah. So I think religious fanaticism, when it becomes harmful, is when it starts to not only consume who you are as a person, but also when it's used to justify harm or to justify acts of immorality. And we see that a lot in this book. So the town, as Jess explained, the majority of the town, I think they describe it's like 80% is part of this religion and the other 20% is not a part of it. So the majority of this town is engulfed in this religion that they've created, this cult. And it really, they do a lot of harm. 
and it is focused on women. And I do think that this whole concept was used to demonstrate on a smaller scale how societal norms will will basically be taken into effect. So all it really takes is a few people to really get on board with an idea. And then you continue to recruit people into this idea, you spread it, and then you start reproducing and teaching your children and new generations this idea. So I do think that there was a lot of symbolism in this in terms of we as a society are taught that women only have one purpose. They are supposed to be the womb of the earth. You know, they're supposed to be life givers. And when they're no longer able to do that, they no longer serve a purpose in society. And that was the whole point of this religion. And that's what the concept was in this town. But I think that Natty Cass was really trying to explain that this is something that was a huge part of society for a very long time. Obviously, we've moved away from this um, in some ways over the years, but we're still not fully away from this. Women who age are still seen differently than men who age. And I think that he did a really good job in describing how these types of ideas and belief systems can take root and spread and how they can be perpetuated over time. Because then you know, you have, you mentioned Eleanor earlier, who is a young girl in the town. You would think that women and, and girls especially would not be on board with this type of religion, this idea as a whole. And yet they're being indoctrinated into it. And that's because, you know, it's, it's, in my opinion, it's supposed to symbolize that internalized misogyny, which mm-hmm. we do have in society today. So, I, I thought that overall this was really well done in the book. And I do think in terms of the question, whenever you have any type of fanaticism, it becomes harmful when it starts to justify harm to others or to yourself or just in general to justify any type of act of immorality. Yeah, I think you're right, too, because it's she's being haunted, Mary, and it's haunting in a sense where society is basically letting go of old outdated, you know, quote, norms, patriarchal norms. But meanwhile, people are women are still being haunted by the past because Mm -hmm. it trickles down and it still carries over. So I think that that's what the ghosts symbolize, because there are ghosts of women's oppression and things like that. So Mm -hmm. um, and even in other parts of the world, maybe the West has kind of curbed it a bit. um, But in other parts of the world, it's still very real there. Yeah. Um, you know, women aren't allowed to get a driver's license unless they ask their husband first. They're not allowed to go uh, in some Middle Eastern countries. They're not allowed to go to a doctor unless their husband approves it. Mm-hmm. So women die of like, you know, UTIs because they can't get treatments because their husbands won't allow it because they're not maybe they're older and they can't reproduce anymore or whatever. And they claim they have no purpose. So, you know, even though it's disturbing, right, it, even though it's it sounds disturbing in the book, it's it's realistic in certain senses. Um, and, you know, they they call this uh, act of, of killing this woman every year harvesting. And I think it symbolizes the fact that these women can no longer harvest, right? They can no longer harvest for more cult members of the town. So what use are they to the cults? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> 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 we would be here all day yeah. <laughs> talking about this. <laughs> All right. So how did you feel about the book twists? Did you see them coming? And uh, what was most surprising? 
I did see a lot of the twists coming. So I did expect that Damon was going to be a reincarnation in Mary. I did suspect that early on. However, I was getting nervous that this was going to be another case of she has multiple personality disorder and I was going to be really upset. So I was really hoping that for a horror novel, this would be an actual possession. So I was happy to see that that was the case. Um, I did anticipate things like Victor being a ghost. I did see the thing with Eleanor coming. I I anticipated that pretty early on. Um, I thought that there were a lot of clues there. But the things that I didn't see coming were Nadine's brutal death. Did not see that. I felt so bad for her. And when, when I was no. reading those chapters, I was like, oh, my God. Um, also, same thing with the dog. I yeah. did not expect that. It really took me by surprise when it happened. I was like, what the fuck did I just read? And then finally, the situation at the end with Nancy, where she ends up being blamed for the murders in the town. I didn't expect that. I don't think there was really any clues that led up to that. And I don't know how I felt about it. But aside from that, I, I didn't mind most of the twists in the story. I didn't like the Nancy twist. I didn't mind the Eleanor twist. I, I anticipated that already. I figured that that's what was going to happen. But the Nancy thing, just why? I, it, it was maybe if they had explained it a little bit better. We had talked about this privately and it was very rushed. And it was almost to the point where you had to really pay attention. Otherwise, you would have missed it. <laughs> so I don't know. It was right. it was weird uh, the way that they revealed that and didn't really do a fine job of explaining it because I, I get I like I understood what happened that they found her in the wall with Wallace. It's assumed that Mary had pushed him into the wall when she was outside the school with him and they were right by that door that she knew was there. He was in the walls. Nancy had been saying, oh, I keep hearing something sounds. in the walls. And she ended up going in there to find him. But was there any other proof that she committed any of these acts of harm? You know, did they ask Wallace, hey, did she did she at any point kill these people? What happened? You know, like there was no I didn't understand how she was just convicted and what proof they had yeah. aside from her being the only survivor in the town with Wallace, not in yeah. the town, in the house. This is one of the issues that I have. So you have a book that's over 400 pages. There was a lot of filler in between, in my opinion, that could have been removed and replaced with something that could make it more developed for us to understand what happened with Nancy instead of just throwing it in as like somebody's journal entry, basically like an article that was stupid. Yeah. Also, you know, like, OK, we get that she's going in the wall, but give us the scenario of what happened. Now we just have I, I get the purpose that it served. Now it's like, oh, a man wasn't listening to a woman again. And look what happened. She paid the price, you know, and uh, I think it's also mentioned, too, that she's like a woman of color. So, you know, she says basically that it's hard for hard enough for a woman. But, you know, being a woman of color makes it harder as well. And then uh, later, he doesn't even ask any questions. The cop just shoots her on sight, assumes she's the killer. And then everybody finds like a list that she made and assumes, oh, she's the killer, even though she was the sweet lady. Uh, you know, I, I think that just represents some things. And I get where he was going, Nat Cassidy, with that. But, you know, very poorly developed, in my opinion. And I think that either leave that out or he had said that the book was even longer and he made a lot of edits and removed a lot of things. Clearly, he removed the wrong things and left the wrong things, in my opinion. We got yeah. everything in the middle. He could have took a chunk of that out and replaced it with more development about Nancy. I feel like she was underdeveloped as a character. I disagree that her character was underdeveloped. I do think that the plot with her was underdeveloped. It did feel like it was just thrown in there at the end. And yeah. I, I agree with you. I think he was trying to make a point that 
we don't need evidence when it comes to minorities. We will just automatically assume that they're guilty and we'll act on that guilt. Mm -hmm. And I, I get that. I just don't think, like you said, I don't think it was well executed. Yeah, I don't think so either. You know, and there was other things too. Like I know we get the idea that Eleanor is creepy, but the whole idea I can't wrap my head around is that this little girl is, you know, we're expected to believe that this little girl is ripping the faces off of older women and that she's doing all these things to try and set up Mary is a little unfathomable to me. Uh, And I get that this book is unfathomable to begin with because it's not realistic, right? It's just a symbolic thing that she's being haunted by ghosts, but, and being haunted. I I get the reason why it's Eleanor. So this way, you know, she's being haunted by her youth and and this is a younger woman saying, I still have purpose. You don't, Uh, I get that. But the whole twist of her framing Mary, you know, giving her her um, a picture of her face and then trying to like rip it off and then trying to say she was the one that she was going to harvest later. It was just a little much. I feel like it could have been toned down, but that's just my opinion. Uh, so when it came to that twist, I didn't love it. Um, you know, and the Nancy twist annoyed me. But but, you know, like there was also um, when she was buried at one point um, and I get the symbolism there, but I thought that that scene was a little drawn out and I thought it was a little uh, unbelievable. <laughs> so. Even though who would believe that a ghost is unburying her? You know, I don't know. There was just some things that just were a little over the top for me. Um, Not that I didn't see them coming. I did. And certain things that I did see coming, I didn't mind so much. But I didn't I didn't find them surprising. I kind of just thought that they were just thrown in there for maybe shock value and didn't really add to the whole theme that he was trying to comprise um, in in a good way that benefited me as a reader for the story. Yeah. When it comes to Eleanor, I don't think she was trying to set Mary up. She was trying to prove her worth to the cult to show that even though she is a girl on the brink of womanhood, that she can be of use. She was literally trying her hardest to demonstrate her worth. And I think that her whole character was representative of that internalized misogyny that women will throw other women under the bus they will sacrifice other women to prove their own worth to the men that rule society so i appreciated that symbolism Mm -hmm. and i i think that there was a lot of that throughout the book that she was trying to bring her in you know and she was doing it perfectly she did exactly what damon cross had done to these women and mary fell for it so i kind of liked that um especially because of the the symbolism behind it but i mean that was like i said it's just me Yeah, no, I agree with you. Uh, The only thing that, you know, I feel like she was trying to set her up. And the reason why I said that was because um, there was a woman named Carol who's friends with her mom. uh, Mm -hmm. And Mary thinks that Carol was one of the bullies. Meanwhile, she bullied Carol when she was younger. uh, But she was the last person seen with Carol, Mary. Mary gets a ride home from Eleanor's house to Nadine's house in Carol's car. And then Carol goes missing the next day. Plot device, you know, you think, oh, she must have killed her. And then it turns out to have been Eleanor who was like setting her up. Right. I don't don't think she she wasn't trying to set her up. I think it just happened to be a coincidence that she was last seen with Mary, but she wanted somebody to practice on. And she chose Carol because she said Carol had no purpose anymore because she was getting older. I have to go through the book because I'm pretty sure that scene when she's confronting her in the house, uh, I think that she is saying like, oh, uh, I knew that. I don't know. I think there's something about what she, why she chose Carol that had to do with Mary specifically. Okay. I could I, be wrong. I'm I'll look into sure. it again. But yeah, my recollection from reading and again, this is just how I remember it was that she chose Carol because she felt that Carol no longer served a purpose and that she was taking a spot in this cult that 
she wanted right. basically that's why she wanted and, her to be harvest yeah and she was practicing to take her face off yeah but also with the bullying mary was bullied by these girls she was viciously bullied by these girls but she also then retaliated which right. i think is where the carry references started to come in i was gonna right. I, I was gonna bring this up more in the writing yeah. so i'll talk about it later but um it's not that she wasn't bullied she just did retaliate whereas she didn't remember retaliating right yeah yeah they they like laughed at her or something because she was a loner they stole her clothes and they made her walk through the school it like completely naked to go and get them and then laughed at her and made fun of her body i mean that's traumatizing for a yeah. young girl yeah for anybody that, really i mean a young boy too yeah and that just shows too you know that you know even youth can be mean and it's also based off of, like you said earlier, too, indoctrination based off of these ghosts that keep haunting society. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you, little kids go off of this notion of what's right and what's wrong well, from the beginning when these little kids are innocent and they're just basically going off of either their parents or their environment or whatever their scenario is. Um, they feed off of each other and and that's why bullying exists and it's a horrible thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's another issue. But that's one one of the um, the the topics that are are, are um, tackled in this book. So. Yeah. All right. So let's discuss Mary's relationships throughout the novel. How do you think Mary's relationships impacted her throughout her life? And which ones do you think were helpful or harmful to her? I mean, I think the relationship she has with her dolls is unhealthy. Uh, I think that she didn't have any healthy relationships in her life personally. I mean, she sadly, she was orphaned when she was a child. She finds out later Um that there was a fire. I think her mom started in the house, right? She started it. Oh, okay. She started a demon, it. But I thought I thought her mom did it. Um, but yeah. But either way, um, her parents are they die in a fire um, when she's young, and you know she has to be raised by her aunt. Her aunt's doing the best she can, um, but given her situation, you know her aunt does commit her, right? Um, and she does commit her. So, you know, obviously she resents her aunt for doing that, even though it's subconscious because she kind of blocked that out. You know, her relationships are just very toxic and it all stems from the relationship of her and Demon Cross in her head. Sadly, she's not really able to form um, healthy relationships, I guess, except with her dolls, because they're the only ones um, who she can actually feel safe around. Uh, and sadly, you know, she can't even feel safe in her own mind. Um, but through their minds, she can feel safe in a sense. Uh, so, you know, she has relationships with all these people that are just harmful. <laughs> I think they're all harmful personally. Um, I can't even just pinpoint one specifically and say one's more harmful than the next, you know? Yeah. I, I don't know. That's just how I feel. I agree with you 100%. Maybe also, the relationship with herself is the most harmful. Maybe. Um you do have me questioning about the fire now too. So I'll, I'll have to go back and double check that. Maybe it was her mom, but I thought it was her, um, but it could be her mom. I'm not, I don't remember now. Um, but anyway, I agree with you about the relationships. I don't think she had a single helpful relationship in this book. I mean, maybe Nancy, but she didn't, they didn't really have a lot of time together on the page. They didn't have a lot of time together in the book at, at all. I think if this had been a normal town, she could have developed a good relationship with Nancy and it would have been helpful, but uh, she never did. And I think that her relationship with Jane was actually like the best relationship she had, which is sad because for when it's a relationship with a ghost. Yeah. For, for anybody who didn't read the book, Jane was this 
ghost that was haunting her. Essentially, she was in her her bathtub and she's actually a fury. So she's able to like interact with the physical world and she she kills the dog and she kills what she she helps her dig the grave for Aunt Nadine. She helps her escape when she gets buried in the desert later on. It was just like very, it was very bizarre, but honestly, it's probably the best relationship she had in the whole book. So take with that what you will. Um, in terms of the the harmful relationships, every other one, every other relationship was harmful to Mary, including the one with Aunt Nadine. So while I loved Aunt Nadine and I thought she was hilarious, she was also emotionally and verbally abusive towards Mary. And, um, you know, especially as a child, that's, you know, that's not going to be helpful in, in any type of way. It's, it, it will only, it will only do harm. And then she had Damon in her head who is, you know, he hates middle-aged women and she's now a middle-aged woman. Um, you had Dr. Burton who was trying to kill her. You have Eleanor who's trying to kill her. You have everyone in the town who's trying to kill her. It's just, I mean, nobody, nobody was helping the, this person. And you know what? Jess said uh, if if the loved ones were real, they probably would have been her best relationship. I didn't include them because they were fake, but I guess Jane's fake too. So I'll say Jane and the loved ones. <laughs> let me tell you, you know, I, I like the idea of Jane representing the ghosts of women's oppression coming mm-hmm. back to help women cope yeah. with these, you know, hauntings of of past societal notions. But like, what did the dog do wrong then? Okay, if Jane's here to help in that scenario, if that theory, you know, comes to play, then what, what, why the dog did nothing to contribute to that oppression and hurt society? Well, he was a little, you know, he was a mean mean little dog, but he didn't deserve that. I I think that was just for the horror. Like you said, there was like some things thrown in there for shock value. I definitely think the dog was for that. But she was technically helping Mary because Mary hated that dog. She wanted to kill the dog and that's why she threw it at the ghost to begin with she was like i don't somebody told me that if this this ghost touches me that they'll kill me let's test it out with the dog and you know i mean once again take with that take from that what you will about mary but i mean yeah and she when she lived in new york she had pointed out specifically mm-hmm. in her minds about this dog that just kept barking 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 so i think that this she just doesn't like animals anyway it's insinuated you know, that point- she killed that dog too yeah, well, either she did or this was the dog she's taking it out on for the other dog. They um, they suggest like early on before she leaves that there was blood on her suitcase and then everybody was freaking out. She was like something about the dog, but I don't know what happened to it. Maybe it went missing. And I was like, this bitch killed that dog. They never actually confirm it, but I think it was it was insinuated. <laughs> yeah, it, it's an, it's interesting when you're reading a, about a protagonist who's not really great she's yeah. not good yeah. uh and 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 you know this is the the narration that you get through her and um a she's not reliable which makes an interesting read but also when you just don't like her i don't like her yeah <laughs> do you like her no, no. yeah I, I just i don't like her i i sympathize with her in set in certain ways but i just don't like the bitch and if she ever came near my dogs bitch step off so. <laughs> yeah out of here no mary's not a likable protagonist i did enjoy reading her story i enjoyed reading this book and i was interested in learning about her but that doesn't mean that she's a good person or that she was a likable person she's absolutely 100 percent the opposite of that yeah i mean i want to say like oh poor mary she was a loner i wish she had more friends but i kind of get why the dolls were her friends so yeah 
Sorry to be a bitch. <laughs> but I, I'm bitter about the dog. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Mary reflects in the novel that, quote, boys usually get to keep that confidence. I think girls have to give it back like it never really belonged to them, end quote. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that this contributes to the overall theme of this book about the differences between how men and women are treated in society and men are praised for their confidence. They're allowed to be confident girls and women. You know, if if a woman is too confident at work, she's considered bossy, whereas a man is just considered the boss. You know, this is a typical mm -hmm. conversation that we have. Um, but they're also women who are confident in their looks are considered stuck up. Women who are confident in their opinions are considered bitches. We don't talk about men the way that we talk about women when they're demonstrating their confidence. And they also have to downplay their achievements. They're supposed to downplay their beauty. You know, this is a very prevalent theme in music where we have male singers saying, oh, she doesn't know she's beautiful and that's why I love her. Women know when they're beautiful. They have to pretend that they don't know because it, it they're judged for it. And it also challenges men because they don't want a woman who feels confident. They don't want a woman that knows that she's beautiful because if she knows she's beautiful, she may not want them. And she may know that she's better than them if she's smarter, if she's more beautiful. And I think that this theme is that we, we discuss a lot in this book, the feminist themes, um, and we'll talk about this more later on as well. But I think that this just once again feeds into that. And I think that this is very true to Mary's character, where throughout the book, she has a lot of thoughts. She has a lot of opinions and she makes it very clear that she's not allowed to say those things because she needs to be the good girl. She needs to be demure and quiet and sit silently in the corner while the men do the talking. And she just has to let men treat them how you know they want to treat her, regardless of how she wants to be treated herself. And I think that that's what she was getting at with this quote and i think that that was the message that nat cassidy was trying to send yeah i agree and a lot of times too you know like you were saying with um musicians and stuff there'll be songs where a guy's like oh you know let me talk about all the women that i slept with let, let me tell you about this and men will think that's masculine oh look how many women he slept with hundreds you know he's the man right um, but then, you know, like, uh, you know, somebody will come out with something else, like a female rapper will start talking about the same exact thing. And they're like, oh, she's a slut. You mm -hmm. know, they'll slut shame her um, for the same exact thing that somebody else just said in a song, but had a deeper voice. And he was a man who said it. Yeah. So, you know, there's this this picture that's painted where, you know, going back to the, the C word of crazy for women. Um, you know, women are often deemed as moody and irrational because we get periods and we have PMS. And oh, that's why. Oh, that's why she's acting like that. You know, there's always some kind of justification as to why a woman's acting the way she is because she's a woman. Whereas there's another justification to masculinity. In other words, oh, he's he's acting that way because he's a man. You know, that makes sense. These are awful things that are painted in society that are just things that should just not be anymore. But unfortunately, even if they were eradicated today, there's ghosts that are still going to linger from these things. And I think that's the whole point. And I think that when it's, you know, when she has this quote and she says that boys get to keep that confidence, they have that masculinity that they have to keep appearances with. So I think that that makes a lot of sense. In other words, you know, women who are confident, like you said, they're not allowed to necessarily be because they're supposed to take a back seat. A woman is supposed to be you know, um, if a man thinks that she's worthy, then she's worthy, you yeah. know, 
Whereas if a woman's like, hey, you know, I know my worth. I know who I am. And they're like, oh, she's cocky. You know, yeah. Yeah. Well, if a man acts like that, you know, you get the idea. Yeah. Uh, And then there's another thing, too, in this book, too, that um, there's a lot of times where Mary sees ants. And uh, just to go tie into that, basically, it's like an ant to an anthill. All the ant knows is to just go to the anthill to take things and carry them and and to provide for the anthill. So I think that that symbolizes a controlled society as well. So in a controlled society back in the day, talking like Shakespearean times and stuff like that, you know, women were not allowed to think for themselves. They weren't allowed to be outspoken in society about their gender or whatever the case may be. They weren't allowed to actually sit there and say, you know, I feel this way in like a meeting or something. The man had to speak, you know, and there'll be jokes even today. Like, um, you know, a man will say something like men are explaining and everyone's like, ha, 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 ha. But if the same female like comedian or something said something similar, people, men will get offended. You know, like, I can't believe she said that. Mm -hmm. Um, So sadly, you know what I mean? Like it's it's kind of like in society, like when did women ever have uh, confidence that seems it was allowed for them to be confident because society makes it that way for them. And even as a little girl, you're taught to behave a certain way, to like certain colors, to do certain things that are proper for women even today. You know what I mean? When you're younger, your parents buy you, if you're a little girl, they buy you Barbie dolls and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I have no problem with that. I love Barbie dolls. I'm just saying, you know, there's certain things that are getting painted even as a child and you're being molded and sculpted to continue certain ways um, yeah. that, you know, that make well, this quote completely This bold. starts, yeah, this starts when you're, when your kids, you know, mm-hmm. when, when boys are wild and running around, people are very quick to just be like, oh, you know, they're just being boys. They have so much energy. Boys will be boys. They like to play and run around. If a girl's yeah. running around and getting dirty and, you know, wants to play football with right. the boys, it's like not oh, that's, ladylike. That's not ladylike. You don't want to do that. Come over here. Just be quiet. Play with your dolls. You know, again, I think as a society, we're trying to move away from this, but it's still very much prevalent and it's still very much a real thing for most women and most girls. Mm-hmm. And like you said, you know, if you look outside the lens of just from the American perspective, worldwide, we're a lot less progressed than, you know, we we try to be. So it's yeah. it's really something that I was glad to see in this book that we were taking a look at that these these things that we act like you know went away in the times of Jane Austen they're still here oh yeah also yeah because you you don't realize because you know where we live and stuff I know and I'm saying you personally but I mean people in general don't realize because west uh you know west does one thing but when when you go to like say an Asian uh country um there's different ways there uh entirely but I mean when it comes to women I mean these women aren't even allowed to work. Some women are selected specifically to be a good wife because they know that they'll be home and quiet and keep to themselves. They're specifically supposed to cook for them when they get home and, you know, do the womenly things, which is basically shut up and just be a maid or a mother. Um, and then, you know, they're supposed to raise sons in specific cases. Mm-hmm. I've done a lot of research on this, but they're supposed to raise ki- uh, boys. And back in the day, if it wasn't a boy, if they had a girl, they would you know, kill the girl or they would bind the little girl's foot. So this way it would be more ladylike and small. A lot of things. And I'm not just saying this country specifically, you know, it's a lot of places all all over the world. Even in Australia, you still need to um, ask, get your husband's permission to get a driver's license. What? It's 2023. You know, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of a lot of things that are still going on um, in society 
across the globe. And even here, even though we think we've progressed a lot, there's a lot of things lately that are kind of making us go backward and are questionable. Yeah, there's a lot of things in this country where this is still prevalent. Like I said, as much as we want to seem as, you know, being progressive, we're really in many ways not. I also I I won't talk about this, but you guys should listen to the songs The Man and Mad Woman by Taylor Swift, because it goes into what Jess was discussing earlier about the differences in how we talk about men and women in music. Okay. Yeah, I thought of Mad Woman (laughs) earlier, by the way. That's funny. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So this novel explores the concept of or concepts of reincarnation, past lives and destiny. Do you believe in these ideas and how do these concepts play a role in the novel? Okay. So once again, I love how our books that we read tie into each other without planning and destiny is in there like fate, which kind of goes with Belladonna. But anyway, that was a side <laughs> note. So, I mean, I want to believe in reincarnation because I don't want to believe that we just die and our energy just ceases to exist. I feel like energy has to go somewhere. Energy doesn't necessarily get obliterated when you die. I feel like the energy should go somewhere. So I love the idea of reincarnation. I have no way of proving it since it hasn't been proven. I can't say for certainty that that is the case, but I would like to believe that. Um, I like that idea. I like the idea of past lives. Uh, There's a lot of stories where you find out there's these little kids that start speaking different languages at like age three and there's no way they could have possibly learned them or they have memories of how they died or their family. And then you look it up and the history happens to be of this person that actually lived. I think things like that are fascinating. Not saying that I necessarily 100 percent believe it, but how could you not when you hear things like that? Uh, So I don't know. There's certain things that I think um, I think all of that's interesting as far as destiny goes. I mean, that's a cool idea. That, oh, you know, everything's predetermined. But I really think that our decisions make our lives for us. Um, I don't think that, you know, it's like, hey, I want to be a millionaire. Um, And that's because somebody's going to knock on my door and be like, here's all the monies. You know, that's not how it works. Um, So, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I think that um, a lot of times things there, there will be obstacles, you know, like if somebody wants something that isn't feasible for them or they can't work towards it because of some kind of obstacle. Like for in other words, somebody trying to have a baby doesn't mean that a woman's not a woman if she can't have a baby because of fertility issues or something like that. You know, she can't control that. So that's not her controlling her own life either. So there would be people saying, oh, maybe it's destiny or whatever. I think that these notions are all just, like I said, I want to believe, you know how I said that? That's because people want to believe in something. They want to hold true to something like a religion and, you know, say that when we die, we go somewhere or that we um, had past lives and that we're able to, you know, pick our next life and stuff like that. Cause it helps give people hope and hold on to something, um, rather than just, you know, making something final, like we die and we go in the ground and that's it. Like that sounds horrible. Nobody wants to think like that. Um, so they play a big role in the novel because th- these are things that haunt people <laughs> just like how Mary's being haunted and how the whole theme of women's oppression and everything is haunting in society. These are other turn other things that haunt people you know like death death is huge and um you know decisions in life and stuff so yeah i i yeah that's how i feel (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i agree with you i i like the ideas of reincarnation and past lives i do know that these are really prevalent um concepts in eastern religions some some eastern religions and i do like the idea of it whether I believe in it or not, I don't know. I don't know what I believe. I but I do yeah. like the idea and I think it's 
you know, it's romantic to think that, you know, we can come back and live a, another existence that our soul will come back and, and continue on after, you know, this incarnation is gone. And in terms of destiny, I don't know how I feel about it. I agree with you. I think it's really just what people kind of fall back on when they need something to explain why things are going well or not going well. And it's like, well, it was destiny or, you know, oh, I was destined to find my love. And that's why I had to go through so many trials to get here. And it was destiny. You know, if what's that saying that people have? It's like, God won't give you anything you can't handle. So if he's giving it to you, it's because you can you can handle it. It's destiny for you to to do it. Something along those lines. I'm really bad with sayings, as you guys probably know by now. Um, <laughs> I always get them wrong. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know if I believe in destiny. Once again, I think it's a romantic concept and, and I, I like the idea of it, but I also like the idea of people being able to make their own decisions and control their destiny. Um, so I don't like the idea of like a pre-planned set of circumstances for people. Um, and then for the book itself, obviously we have Damon Cross who is reincarnated into Mary. So in her previous, so the way that they describe it in the book, I actually really liked. And it's that life is a body of water. And every time somebody is born, some they take a cup and they pour it into this person. They, I don't think they say it exactly like that, but they take from this water source and they put it into that person. And when that person dies, it goes back to, into the water source. And then sometimes that soul stays together enough within that body of water, which is always constantly moving and a little bit too much goes back into the, to another person so that that personality and that soul is more intact than it would normally be for a reincarnation process. So I really liked the way that they described this here. And this is essentially what happened with Mary and Damon. So Mary's a, a part of her soul and a part of her herself was the reincarnation of Damon Cross, which stayed significantly intact after he had passed. So I really liked that. I liked the explanation. I liked the way that it played out in the book. And I liked that Mary was having flashes of her past. There were things, there were times where she was experiencing rage beyond, you know, what she had ever known and she didn't understand why. She was having memories of places she had never been before and, and things of that nature. So I liked the way that it played out in the book. And yeah. Um, a couple of things. One, every time you kept saying destiny, I just kept thinking of Darth Vader going, it's your destiny, you know? <laughs> um, it is your destiny. All right, that's side note. But anyway, <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know what? When it comes to reincarnation, the one thing I do know for sure is when we die and we get buried in the earth, um, eventually we are broken down to mm -hmm. make more life. Yeah. So, you know, in in some sense, we do, um, you do need death to, to make more um, more life. Yeah. Um, I found a quote in the book too, um, to go back to reincarnation and past lives and destiny and all these things. I think because there's another, um, underlying theme of a, a real horror of not only is she getting older and, you know, society's looking at her as, you know, uh, less worth and, um, she's, she's older period, you know, she's getting scared of the notion of death. And in one section, it's on page 304, I highlighted, it says, um, quote, don't be in such a hurry. OK, she's telling Eleanor, I think um, the thing about getting old is it happens sooner than you think. So in other words, there's this underlying theme of running out of time. So 
people are going to feel this way when you start getting older, you feel that way. And then people are going to say, well, you know what? Of course, I believe in reincarnation because, you know, it helps ease that blow yeah. of inevitability. Yeah. So I, I won't get into this too much, but I'll just say that I believe that that's the whole point of religion in the first place. And I think every religion is based on that. But I, I also forgot to mention that at one point in the book, Mary does make it a point to be able to using Jane and these other furies to be able to kill Damon in her own consciousness which goes back to her reclaiming her identity, but also I think from a man. Yes. But I think it also feeds into this idea of destiny and taking control over your own life, because up until that point, Mary had felt like she didn't really have much control in her life, which you had mentioned earlier with the loved ones. So I think that that role of destiny played in there as well. Yeah. There's a reason why Natty Cass, Natty Cass, (laughs) there's a reason why Natty Cass chose to make a man take over her minds and kill women. He was a serial killer that killed women specifically. He's in her mind, taking over her minds. You Mm -hmm. get the symbolism there. Yeah, it's all that internalized misogyny once again and choosing to get rid of that and overcome it. Yeah, I'm just realizing too that this is the perfect book for us to discuss. I know. Um, But (laughs) we could go on for days. Okay. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. We have a lot of feelings. Um. But yeah, I, I don't know, just stemming really quickly, I'm going to touch on this quick. Um, I'm sure we're going to get more into Natty Cast later, but I don't know how I feel about a man being the author behind this, though. I have some thoughts. Yeah, you know? we'll talk about that when we get to the writing, maybe. I, I agree with you. So which themes do you feel were the most impactful while reading Mary? I think we've been saying a lot of this. Yeah. So the themes, they're not subtle in this book. I'll say that. I mean, when you're reading this, it's pretty... It's pretty evident what we're getting at when, you know, Nat Cassidy is is writing this and and explaining what's happening to Mary. There's a lot on feminism. I, I won't go too much into these because we have been talking about them significantly, but there's the idea of feminism and a woman reclaiming her identity as a woman in society and choosing to set aside those patriarchal and misogynist ideals that have been instilled in her since birth. Um, the idea of a woman's worth diminishing as she grows older. The idea that women are seen as less valuable as they age. And then in terms of, uh, I, I don't know if these would necessarily be themes, but they were definitely motifs throughout the book. We saw the ants, which you mentioned earlier. Um, I, For me, when I see ants a lot in a book, it I, I think of teamwork and I think of strength when I think of ants. And I think that it was the idea of women need to come together. Women are strong, but they're strongest as a group. And if you come together, you can work together to once again, overcome this patriarchal society and and reclaim what it is that you value. Um, So I liked seeing that throughout the book. Um, There was also a lot of imagery with the desert. And I think that this tied back to women's aging and the idea of the womb drying up. But I think it also is representative of death and the lack of life. And I liked that this was juxtaposed with the imagery of the water when it came to the reincarnation. So I think that there was a lot of underlying themes in this book about life and death and how we define those two things, because Mary, while she was alive, wasn't really living a very fruitful life. She was very, you know, she didn't have many or any social connections. She didn't really go anywhere or do anything. She went to work. She came home. She talked to her loved ones. 
and that was her her primary existence and it wasn't until she kind of killed this idea of Damon inside of her that she was able to really start living her life and what she chose to do with that life maybe wasn't the best again she went around just like killing people with her furies um but you know at, at least she she was doing something instead of just talking to her stupid little <laughs> statues so but I, but i did like the imagery and I, I liked the symbolism behind the desert throughout the book and i think that we saw that a lot where we had the desert and also with people like nadine who were very gruff and rough around the edges and yet she was always wearing bright colored clothing and she always wore a flower in her hair and it was again this idea of trying to hold on to youth and trying to hold on to this idea of life while you're slowly moving towards death what i love about nadine is going back to the ants she's kind of like the little loner ant that leaves um but she's she's deemed as an outsider and she's deemed as strange right she's weird she's a weird lady uh, I love that about her. Not that she's lonely. You know, I don't like that. Um, but I think that it represents how we can feel lonely maybe if we f- stray from mass thinking. So in her mind, she's not conforming to the society where she lives, this cult, right? She's not conforming to that. She probably is anti this cult, obviously. And that's why she keeps to herself and she doesn't associate with them. So I love that for her. I love that what she represents in that moment that she is... Um, the outsider. She's somebody who might be deemed, you know, quote, crazy because she's not conforming with societal uh, norms. But meanwhile, she's the type of person that would go down in history as taking a stand and making a difference. So I love Nadine. Um, she's just keeps getting better and better as far as my favorite character goes. But side note, <laughs> um, but as far as all the themes, you mentioned pretty much everything we've been touching on them. I mean, there's not much more to say, uh, except for the fact that um, this book could have just been called Feminine, fe- fe- The Ghost of Feminism, and I would have been satisfied by that. But, you know, <laughs> there is this theme, though, uh, with the dolls going back to the loved ones, um, the idea of these dolls being motionless and fixed. So in her life, these are the only beings, even though they're not real, but they're real <laughs> to her. They're the only beings that are fixed, mm. unmoving, you know, they never age. Right. So there's this theme there um, that your loved ones are always going to be the people in your life. The loved ones are always going to be the people that are fixed in your world. Um, I mean, you're one of my loved ones. We do age, you know, so that's not realistic. But in, <laughs> as far as Mary goes, sadly, we do. Sadly, we age. Um, but Mary, as far as she goes, you know, these these are her loved ones because these are the the these is what this is what she's trying to hold on to. The fact that they can never age. They can never change. They could always be. And then once they start to shatter and fall apart, that's when Eleanor comes. And there's a section I had highlighted where she says, oh, one of my loved ones came to life. You know, she's standing over Mm me. Uh, What name did I give her? She must be mad because I let them shatter. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, it turns out to be Eleanor. You know, she's just. um, She'd just been hit over the head. (laughs) Yeah, she'd been hit over the head and she's, you know, confusing what's real and what's not. So, uh you know, basically this idea that one of her loved ones has come to kill her, you know, is so crazy to her because that would be someone in her life that would she would think would be fixed. Um, and she thought she was collecting Eleanor as another doll, but a living doll, you know. Yeah. So there's this theme there that, um, you know, um, not that youth hurts you or um, that creepy dolls will hurt you. But I think you know what I'm trying to say. 
Yeah, I really like I, I didn't um, I didn't pick up on that in the book. So I really like your interpretation of the loved ones and that being a constant in one's life that your loved ones should be always there and unwavering. And I, I really like yeah. that interpretation. That's really nice. Yeah, she she just didn't have that. She's losing her parents so young. Uh, so she had to make loved ones because yeah. she lost hers. Mm-hmm. And Nadine wasn't necessarily the best for her. Although you, one could argue, though, that Nadine did get her help. Yeah, she figured she was doing the right thing for her. So yeah, I think Nadine tried in her way. It just I, I still don't think that she had a good relationship with Mary. Oh, but no. I think that she did the best she could with the circumstances she was dealt. So. All right. So, you know, in the middle of his recording this, by the way, uh, I had a technology issue. Shocker, right? So it made me think while I was having this technology issue uh, that there's a theme about technology and youth um, in real life and in this book. So, um, you know, (laughs) at one point, Eleanor is listening to a podcast. Mary was like, what the hell is this? And she has to explain it to her. At another point, she's like, come over my house and we'll use the Internet. And I'm really good at using the Internet because she's youthful. Um, And Mary's not really so great, maybe, with the Internet. Otherwise, she would maybe go on some kind of site and make friends instead of talking to dolls. So, um, you know, there's like a big theme there (laughs) going on. uh, And I just thought that that was very relatable and then that that was realistic as well. And I wouldn't have thought of that to correlate that with the book. Unless I had this technology issue. So do I say thank you, technology, uh, for not always being 100 percent, you know, perfect or for the for making me think of this theme? I don't know. But I yeah, love technology. I know. Here we go. Let's just start singing that. Oh. Uh, anyway, moving on. Yeah. So. All right. What, what do you think is next for Mary? And would you be interested in reading more of her story? No, I want no more of Mary's story. All right. I want Mary. I hope that Mary will get the hell away from this town. And I hope that she'll no longer see ghosts and be haunted by things, especially herself Um, going forward. Hopefully she finds her identity. I hope that she actually finds some real friends, you know, maybe go to some kind of circle or some kind of therapist group that she can actually get help. Um, And maybe through that, she'll be able to form better relationships. That's what I hope for her. I don't want to read it. I don't want to um, read her story and her future life. I just hope that she actually lives for once <laughs> in her future yeah. life. Well, I think at the end of the book, she's back in her apartment in the city in Manhattan, and she still has Jane and Jane's friends. I don't think they ever get a name. And they still they're just like doing her bidding. They say like the population has decreased significantly. So I think I would read that story of just like Mary. <laughs> And the Furies made like a short story, not I wouldn't want to read another whole book about Mary. I just, I don't like Mary, um, but I, I would read that, honestly. You know I what? It, if, I thought it was kind of funny, which maybe if, makes me sick, but I don't know. If this became like a part two where it was from Jane's perspective, I would read that book. Yeah. Because now be you're getting a ghost's perspective. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, but as far as Mary goes, I've seen enough of her minds. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> or maybe the part two would be, you know, like in one of the loved ones minds. Oh, God. I wouldn't I read definitely that. definitely would not read that. <laughs> so, yeah, so uh, I would read about Mary and her adventures with the Furies. It just sounds kind of fun. <laughs> because the Furies makes it sound fun. It seems funny. Like somebody didn't hold the door for a woman, so the one Jane cut her arm off or his arm off or whatever it was. I thought that was hilarious. 
you I don't know. Maybe I'm sick. All right. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, that makes us go to what we thought of Natty the Cass's writing. So how'd you think Natty Cass did? It was all right. I didn't hate his writing. I had some issues with it. There was definitely some moments that were a little drawn out that I was like, all right, it needs a little bit of editing here. And I thought that his themes, while good and impactful, were very heavy handed. So the entire time you're reading this book, you're like, okay, all right, I get it. I get it. I would have liked a little bit more subtlety in there. Um, In the author's note at the beginning of the book, he does say that he was inspired by Carrie. I did see that in the book. I I was glad it wasn't really heavy. uh, In that respect, it wasn't really heavy handed. I really only saw it when Mary was reflecting a little bit on her history with the bullies and, you know, them taking her clothes and making fun of her body. And Carrie, I think it's something similar where they're making fun of her because she gets her period as if all those other girls hadn't also gotten their periods. And also then when she just completely decimates the entire house and all of its inhabitants in one of the final scenes, um, except in this case, it was being done with the help of the Furies and not with telekinesis. So I liked seeing the inspiration there. I also really liked that. So throughout the book, there were some quotes and they were all from The Awakening by Mary Chopin, which is a book that I read and loved. And as I was reading it, I did see the inspiration from there as well. So that book is about a woman in, I, I don't remember the exact year. It might be the early 1900s or late 1800s, but it's definitely a time when women were more oppressed. She's in a loveless marriage with a man that she doesn't really want to be married to. She's very unhappy and it was very controversial. She decides to leave him. She gets her own apartment. They get a divorce. It was like unheard of at the time. And she has an affair with a younger man. But throughout the book, she, she, you know, she goes on a journey of self-discovery, ultimately ends up not finding happiness and then kind of, well, I I won't give the ending away, but I liked seeing the inspiration in that throughout the book too. So I, I liked seeing his inspirations in the, in the novel and in the writing However, I thought that overall he needed a little bit more subtlety with some of the themes of this book and just a little bit of editing towards the middle. I mean, definitely editing in the middle and at the ends, you know, like you need less in the middle and more at the ends. Yeah. Uh, So I have that big issue. My main issue with this is, although I appreciate, you know, uh, the message that he's trying to make um, with this with this book, you know, at the end of the day, he's still a man. He can't fully comprehend what it's like to be a woman. He can't fully comprehend our ghosts and and things from a female oppression um, that still haunt a woman today because he's a man at the end of the day. So had I had this been written from a female writer, I think I, it would have been more impactful to me as a woman. Uh, I think that it's great. You want to spread awareness. I appreciate that. But then in the same aspect, it kind of reminds me of some Karen who's trying to change uh you know the label of something because it might be offensive to her for someone else's culture meanwhile she's not even asking that culture if it's offensive to their culture you see what i'm trying to say so i know that sounds weird and i'm not really fully explaining it there because i don't want to go there but i'm just saying i can't really take it seriously part of me is like all right but you're part of the patriarchal system too you're a man so at the end of the day you can close this book and it's not your problem I Does just, that make sense? I, I get what you're saying. 
I don't know if I agree with you. I, I agree that he will never truly understand, but I do think it's important for men to try to understand. And I think he did a commendable job at that. I also don't like the idea of like gatekeeping what people can and can, can't write about. And I yeah. think, you know, for having this written by a man, I think he did a good job. I think the themes, they, they were spot on. I think he he got the message across and I think those messages were correct. What I didn't like is how he felt the need to have to explain it at the beginning of the book and then again at the end of the book. I think one of the reviews mentioned this as well that we talk about on Thursday where he had to kind of like sit down and be like, I'm allowed to write this and this is why I can do it and don't come at me. And I was like, I don't care. Like, I don't need you to sit here and explain to me why you wrote this book. I appreciated the sentiments in it. I don't, I, it didn't bother me that it was a man writing it and I thought he did an okay job at it. So it just didn't really bother me that much. Yeah. I didn't see it as gatekeeping and I didn't mean it like that just so it's, it's known, but like anybody can write about anything that doesn't bother me either. And I'm not mad that he wrote this personally. I like, I think that he had good intentions. I just, um, I think personally, in my opinion, it would have been more impactful had it been written through a woman because then the woman at least understands the struggles of the themes. That's just my opinion. Yeah. Uh, I'm not trying to gatekeep anybody. Anybody can write about anything. I didn't say that you want. Yeah, I didn't mean that you were trying to say that. I just I saw in some of the reviews where people were saying like that he had no right writing this book and things like that. And I just disagree with that. I didn't mean it like directed towards you. Yeah, no. Well, I disagree with that, too, because for that matter, um, you know, Rebecca Yarrow shouldn't be writing books about dragons because she doesn't have a dragon and she isn't one. (laughs) You can't really say things like that either. Yeah. I, guess. I just I, I do think it's important for men to explore these themes and to try to understand. So whether he can ever truly understand. Right. He, I appreciate the message. But, yes. but yeah. And I think that it's a good thing to to try. You know, I, I don't I don't want to say that he he shouldn't have done it. And again, I don't think that you were saying that. Um, but I did see that in the, re- in the reviews where people were like, how dare he? And I was just like, oh, I don't. He did an okay job, though. It wasn't like he wrote about it and I was like, this man doesn't get it. Like, it seemed like he did his research. Yeah. <laughs> and just so you know, Natty Cass, I'm not calling you a Karen. I'm just saying <laughs> that this is the era of Karens. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I, honestly, I think, at. and I think that's why he put that into the author's note. And then again, in the afterward, because he was like, people are going to come for me. Yeah. He <laughs> and knew. he was like, I need to explain myself. Which is sad because that's a red flag. You shouldn't have to explain yourself. You know, yeah. this is your work. It's your art, you know, and and I appreciate that. And I really do appreciate having allies at anybody standing up for women and trying to make a point. I do appreciate that. Yeah, but I would be interested in seeing this story told from a woman's perspective and what might be different in it. It'd be interesting. Yeah, I bet um, it would be a female serial killer and it would be the other way around. All right. So <laughs> who knows? <laughs> All right. So what are your thoughts on the title, Mary, An Awakening of Terror? And what do you think it means? And would you have titled it anything different? I can't I think remember it, what you said earlier. It was funny, though. <laughs> I think it literally means that it's this Lady Mary who has an awakening of terror. Uh, I don't like this title. This okay. is one of the first times I think we've we've come here because usually we're like, I like it. It makes sense. Yeah. I don't like this title. I think that there's too much happening, just like there was too much happening in the middle. <laughs> I think it does sum up the content well because there was too much happening in the middle. But at the same time, I think that it's not it's not inviting. Like, it doesn't make me wonder about it and want to read. 
about it. It's like Mary and Awakening with Tara. Maybe had it just been Mary, but I think he didn't do that because it was just Carrie and it was kind of, uh, I think he wanted to mm. hold true to the, he had said that he was um, inspired by Stephen King's Carrie yeah. and that he, you know, I think that's why he wanted to name it Mary because instead of Carrie, it's Mary. And then he added the ending there, like what her situation was because he didn't want it to just be like Carrie, Mary, Carrie, Mary. I get mm. that. Um, but I think it could have been more fun to be at, named something else. What? I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, because I'm not Natty Cass, but maybe more something um, having to do with the underlying themes of this book. Mm-hmm. I mean, I get that it has to do with Mary and that was his inspiration was Carrie, but I don't know. What do you think? Um, so initially I didn't like the title of this book because I agree it, for me, it was just boring. I would have I just I would have liked something a little bit more like with a little more pizzazz, but, or just Mary, I agree. However, after reading it, I appreciate the title a little bit more. I'm not going to say I love it or anything like that, but I think that once again, it just, it shows his inspirations. I think it's just heavy handed. So we have Mary again, like you were saying, it's just like Carrie, except it's Mary. And then I do think that he was heavily inspired by an awakening or or the awakening, whatever it's called by Mary Chopin. And I think that that's why he put that in there Mary and awakening. And then I think he added the terror because it was like, Ooh, that'll grab him. It's an awakening of terror, not just like an awakening of a woman reclaiming her identity with age. And I think that that's really, I, I think that's the only reason he titled it this way was to a show his inspiration and then b try to grab you with the terror. I, I, think, yeah, I, th- I think he's not a very subtle writer. <laughs> and I think that that's evident in this title. It's like, this is what you're going to get. This is where I got it from. Here you go. I, I think it could have been more fun, in my opinion, if he, because this, cro- the Cross House, Damon Cross, there's all these puns. You know, I like my puns. Yeah. There's all these puns that could have been used with Cross, like Mary carrying the cross, you know, for women or whatever, but not using it like that. But something having to do with Cross, maybe. Um, or like a cross between Mary and whatever, if you wanted it to be super verbose, I don't know. Like at the crossroad um, or just crossroads or something. Yeah. Like the that. crosswords, of, cr- crossroads, crossroads of, of Mary, yeah. you know, something like that might've been more impactful sounding. And I would have been like, Ooh, what are her crossroads? You know, something like that. Something but then again, a little more poetic. You crossroads know. makes me think of Brittany. Um, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, totally different. Uh, <laughs> Uh, at that at that let's just leave it where we okay (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh so what do you think of the cover art do you think that it fits with the content and would you have changed anything yeah it definitely fits with the content i loved the cover art the cover art creeped me out so for anybody who hasn't seen it it's basically just a woman in a tub like a a bathtub with a pillowcase over her head and then there's a tray over her but then there's another hand coming out of the tub that's laying on top of hers creeped me it just creeped me out the the whole cover when i first saw it i my initial thought was this makes me think of handmaid's tale and then i saw the hand sticking out and it just gave me the creeps you know every time i saw it on my kindle so uh, um I don't know if yours does this, but on the Kindle, when you put it to sleep, it shows the cover as like the background. 
and I had to keep turning it away when I was asleep because I would have it facing me. And I was like, oh, get out of here. I don't want to be thinking about that before bed. It it was creepy. I liked it, though. I I think it definitely fit the content of the book. The book was creepy. There were the the murdered women who had the pillowcases over their heads. Mm. There was Jane who was in the tub and the the hand that was coming out just kind of it's not related to the book, but I think it added to that element of fear and and creepiness that was in the book. I think it could have been fun if he had incorporated this scene into the book. Yeah. You know, but um, but yeah, I mean, it doesn't really happen where the hand comes out. But uh, I mean, it, it does involve the bathroom and the tub and a woman and she's wearing this, you know, pillowcase over her head. Uh, I don't dislike it. I don't know. I kind of I don't love it. Also, I don't like that the, this is me very much overthinking, mm-hmm. but I don't like that there's wine there because I feel like now you're trying to say Mary's whining because she's a woman and I don't like that. Okay. Um, I think you're I definitely you. analyzing that. However, totally analyzing. I don't remember in our her intro, drinking. We, we said we might do. So, yeah. Sorry. I don't remember her drinking wine, though, in this book. And she definitely never, like, eats when she's in the tub or anything. So I, I think that he was just going for, like, this looks cool versus, like, this is well, really representative of the novel. He didn't draw this. I mean, he didn't. No, he but didn't he. Really, no, but he approves it, you know? Yeah, true. Um, and he um, might have I mean, up with the concepts. Is it know. creepy? Yes. Uh, uh, I don't know. I'm on the fence about it. It's not a pretty cover. It's not like it's not a fun book cover to look at, but I thought that it was good for the book. It was really I thought that it was a really creepy cover. Yeah, Uh it's definitely creepy, especially with everything blacked out in the background. I think that's a good touch Uh, as far as it had to have a woman or somebody with the pillowcase over their head. It had to happen. Yeah, <laughs> um, I think maybe if they changed it, it would be like just dirt and like a woman's head sticking out with mm. the pillowcase on top to represent like, yeah. you know, some shit. But <laughs> uh, but whatever, you know, if we ever get a bonus chapter, which we kind of didn't need any extra chapters, but we did yeah. just some removed <laughs> first. Um, but if that part ever gets edited, then maybe give us a chapter where she's in the tub and the hand comes out. That would be cool. Yeah. Um. All right, whatever. (laughs) All right, well, now let's get into some fun stuff. If this book could be summed up as the following items, what would it be? First thing that comes to your mind, what song would it be? Okay, so the first song that comes to my head is um, called Haunted House. And it's by, I had to look up the name just now, but Holly Humberstone. Do you know that song? No. Oh, it's like hauntingly beautiful. It's not a long song, but it's about this girl who grows up in a specific house and the whole song is a story about her childhood, and I think it's relevant. Uh, okay. And if you haven't heard it, maybe I'll put it at the end of the of the episode because I think it's only like two minutes long. But it's a really like hauntingly beautiful song. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and um, I think uh, I think Taylor people would like it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. So the song that I thought of was "Mary Jane" by Alanis Morissette. I don't know if you've heard that one, but. It's all about like you lost your place in line again, Mary Jane. And then it's the, she talks about her losing sleep. And it just I kept thinking like this song I felt like was representative of Mary's sad life and just like never feeling like she was one step ahead. Wow. I, I okay. thought of that, I thought of that song a lot in this book. I don't know. <laughs> I love that. song. And you know what? They keep playing that song. I love you more today than yesterday in this in this they keep um i saw that 
I don't know if I know that song, though. I actually meant to ask Rob if he knew it and I forgot, but I highlighted it at yeah. one point. I was going to look it up and then I never did. <laughs> it's but not as much as tomorrow. It's like an old song. Yeah, I know it's from like the 60s know that or something. Like that. I don't think I know it. Yeah. Isn't there also a, a Taylor Swift song called Haunted? Yeah. Or Haunt. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. I can't think of how it goes, but. Um, I'm haunted. I, I, that's not how it goes. Uh, it's one of her <laughs> older songs. <laughs> All right. Um, how about a nail color? Ugh. All right. I'm going to say, Jesus, so many colors. Uh, but I'm going to say brown, like the dirt. Mm, okay. Uh, I was thinking like a blood red for this mm. one. Yeah. Appropriate. <laughs> Sorry. How about a cocktail? A cocktail. Um, I mean, the wine is screaming at me because of the cover, mm -hmm. but I don't want to say that because um, I don't think Mary would drink wine. I think that Mary, if she was drinking, would have a margarita because she's mm. like, I need some fun in my goddamn miserable life. <laughs> okay the margarita i associate with fun give that bitch some tequila <laughs> i think i think of a bloody mary and i think mary, oh, perfect I, I think mary would drink that and she would think it's hilarious <laughs> she would think it's yeah that, that's perfect perfect cocktail <laughs> all right how about an item of clothing uh, a pillowcase over your head um <laughs> i was gonna say that too <laughs> what are you i was gonna say a pillowcase <laughs> I mean, that's the only one that's relevant in this novel. They don't even, the other like prevalent clothing is like their birthday suit, like just being naked. I know. So. <laughs> the only thing that maybe would pop up that would be different would be like slippers. I pictured Nadine wearing slippers mm. and a nightgown all the time. Okay. I don't know. All right. There you go. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would have either said pillowcase or birthday suit, so. Yeah, either one. Either one's <laughs> applicable. All right, how about meal? Um, for a meal, I think she makes chicken cacciatore in the book, so I'm going to say that. It's the okay. first thing that comes to mind. And if it's not in the book, then that's the first thing that came to mind anyway. I think that so. is in the book. Okay. But I When I think of this book, I think of like a bloody steak. Not to go back to Needless Street where we also did like the rotting steak. But oh. yeah, for this one, I just imagine like a really like rare bloody steak just we that. wanted to get get really dark with it a hot dog oh my god <laughs> you're sick you say i'm the sick one that was sick <laughs> anyway moving on animal about <laughs> <laughs> <had> an animal <laughs> i mean i immediately think of a dog so okay I, my first thought was an ant but i don't know if that's even considered an animal it's an insect so if I was thinking of an animal, I'd think of like a sand snake, like in the desert. A snake. I'm a slippery snake. You know, I don't think that a dog even sums up this book, but it was the first one that came to mind. I think that <laughs> vultures sum mm. up this book a little bit. Kind of the cult members, a little bit of a vulture-esque society there. Even though I think vultures get a lot of hate and I think they're cute. So, okay. <laughs> whatever. You know, they're survivors. <laughs> okay. All right, moving on. Scoop, <laughs> scoop or skip? What are we doing with this one? This How is, many golden scoops? Yeah, this is a scoop for me. I would recommend it. I thought it was a fun read for the most part. It got a little bit 
like I said, uh, drawn out and boring somewhere in the middle. Um, but overall, the first half of it, especially I was on the edge of my seat. I was really excited. I couldn't put it down and I enjoyed this book. I would give it four golden scoops. I did have some issues with the ending as well as the editing. And I thought that the writing was very heavy handed. However, I think overall it was like a fun read and it was spooky at certain points as well. It was genuinely kind of creepy. So I, I'd recommend it, except, you know, check your triggers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, always check your triggers before you pick it up. But I, I would recommend it. I think it's a, a fun horror and I, I really enjoyed it. How many scoops did you give it? Four. Okay. Uh, yeah, I was a little uh, not far behind you. I gave this a three and a half um, only because, you know, I didn't hate it and I really appreciated the message. I wouldn't I would skip this one personally again, um, just because I just found it very verbose. It's a little bit of a sleeper in the middle. It's just drawn out. And I had heavy issues with the plot, especially at the end with Nancy. Um, I just, you know, I needed less in places and I needed more in places. You know, that's not great. Mm -hmm. uh, overall, I didn't dislike his writing. I feel like you could tell he put passion into this project and that he really did want to uh, spread awareness. And I appreciate that. Um, but I don't know if I would read anything else by him and I didn't love it. So I'm going to say a three and a half. I was going to give it a three, but because of the message, I think that it gets that extra half a point for me. I think it's important. Okay. Yeah. All right. So there you have it. There's Mary read it or don't, but if you do, <laughs> let us know what you thought. <laughs> if you don't read it, at least we summed it up for you right here. So. Yeah. You know, if you have any questions about it and you don't feel like reading it, but you want some more answers, just reach out to us and, you know, we'll let you know what you need to know if you're not going to read it. Yeah. All right. We had a good conversation. <laughs> just a reminder to stay after the episode for some bloopers and bonus content. Next Tuesday, November 7th, we will be reading and reviewing Two Twisted Crowns, the sequel to One Dark Window by Rachel Gillig. Join us then as we discuss the conclusion to the Dark Fantasy series. And join us again this Thursday, November 2nd, for another potty episode. And don't forget to mark your calendar for our next Book of the Month episode, which will air on Wednesday, November 29th. We'll be reading and discussing There There by Tommy Orange. And be on the lookout for our next bonus-ode on November 20th. We'll be reviewing Britney Spears' newly released memoir, the Woman in Me. If you haven't read the upcoming books but would like to, head on over to the link in our bio and get a copy for yourself so that you can participate in future discussions. You don't pay anything extra, but if you make a purchase using our link, we get a small commission, so thank you so much for supporting us. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, it would really mean a lot to us if you would leave a positive review on Spotify, Apple, or whichever streaming service you use. We would really appreciate it also if you could spread the word by telling friends and family about our podcast. And of course, we want to say thank you to all of our listeners. We really appreciate each and every one of you. Yep. We also want to remind everyone to be on the lookout for our live events on TikTok. Yep, we'll be doing some live events soon and we will post upcoming dates on our socials. If you're just tuning in, this is what you can expect from our podcast. We're going to be releasing new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. So be sure to check out our socials for updates and also some bonus content. You can find us on Instagram, TikTok, and other platforms. Click on the link in our bio for access to all of our socials, our website, and other links. We encourage you to reach out to us with thoughts, ideas, questions, and feedback. 
you can email us at bookswithcooks at gmail.com. You can also find our full book reviews on Goodreads. These links will also be available at the link in bio. If no one told you today, you're important and valued. You belong here. You're doing great. And we believe in you. Now let's turn the page and put a fork in it because we're done with this one. Hey guys, it's Jess. So here's the song I was talking about by Holly Humberstone called Haunted House. It's hauntingly beautiful in my opinion. Here it goes. Thanks for listening to my